Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today I'm honored to be joined by Chad Cardinal, a regional director for the Aspire Group, as we just uh, had on last week, their founder, Bernie Mullen, along with Pat Gallagher. Uh, And today I've got my co-host, Andy Dolich, with me. Uh, Really looking forward to the episode to talk uh, a little bit about Chad's career, uh, which is you know, one that I think we can all learn learn from uh, as Chad is a rising star in the business. Uh, we were we were saying that his name kind of sounds like a movie star or a pro athlete, so uh, he's definitely a rising star. Um, Andy, you've got uh, you've got some relationship with Chad, and and I'll say, why don't you kick it off? Absolutely. And in the world that Chad uh, lives in, you can tip it off, you can kick it off, you can drop it off, you can (laughs) run it off, you can start it off, and we could go on probably for 45 minutes. (laughs) I I was out of the country for a few weeks, so I must admit, Chad, that I didn't uh, listen in uh, to or talk to Gallagher or Jake about the discussion with Bernie and Bernie and I go back uh, a few years. Um, how did Aspire get named? What was in Bernie's mind? And if it's repetitive, okay, I'll buy that. But I'm always interested in names of companies and the aspirational view of the world is important. Um, Aspire, how to come about? Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Jake. Um, well, Bernie created a company uh, back in 2008, and the Aspire Group name came from it. He wanted to create a company that people wanted to aspire to belong to, aspire to be in, uh, aspire to stay within. And you know, one thing he always says is in his ideal world, and he admits that it's not always realistic, is he'd love for people to start with the company and this to be their last company they work with. So aspire to work with to and through retirement. So that's where it came from, and it's very much a part of how we recruit, how we work day-to-day, um, how we promote, etc. So that, that's where it came to be. And again, seeing uh, the level of aspirational success that Bernie's had over time in so many different businesses, I, I don't know what the world record is, but I think if you put... Uh, uh, Todd Lightwicky, Bernie Mullen, and yours truly together, I don't know what we haven't worked in. Uh, that might be, you know, when we have uh, life in the front office, the tr- sports Jeopardy game, Jake, <laughs> we're going to have to, we're going to have to put that one in. Okay. And what we always like to talk about, Chad, uh, for the listeners and those people who do aspire to actually get into the business of sports is career paths because no two are alike. So the Chad Cardinal career path, enlighten us. Still being written, but up until present day, I mean, it was kind of that typical, I mean, I was a student athlete in college, though, small school in North Dakota. In the summers, I worked for a wood bat league in my home state of Minneapolis or Minnesota uh, in suburban Minneapolis there. Worked for my athletic department when baseball wasn't in season, which was the sport I played. And so just always it's kind of around sports. You know, I don't, I'm a person that doesn't have a lot of hobbies uh, outside of sport and business. And so it just made sense. If there's one thing I was sure I wasn't going to be growing up, it was going to be a salesperson. And what was my first job? 
salesperson. Uh, so I did inside sales for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx out of college. Now I was on the WNBA side of things. So focused on Minnesota Lynx tickets. Um, spent about three and a half years there um, with a big focus on the group event side of things and was fortunate enough to join the Kansas City Wizards, now sporting KC, uh, for two years. So last year in the old stadium, first year in the new stadium. Um, so kind of worked for the Kansas City in Kansas City uh, for two years combined. So great experience, great sales culture. Um, to this day, one of the finest sales cultures I've ever been around. Um, you know, it was, was created by Jake Reed there. Um, after that, I spent uh, almost four years or four seasons with the Bruins and um, TD Garden. So I was responsible for ticket sales management there for single premium for the TD Garden um, and then groups and seasons for the Bruins um, on the hockey side of things. And about a little over four years ago, I joined Aspire. Um, so I've known Bill Fagan since maybe 2011 and um, obviously knew Bernie and his name. When I'd go to conferences, I'd see people line up to talk to him. And, you know, people who are on stage would say things like, I'm a Bernie Mullen guy or gal. And so I kind of knew of his industry reputation. And I uh, was always curious to learn what was so special about him. I think I was influenced a lot of people at the NBA League office when I worked in the NBA who were in Bernie's team bow department. And, um, and, you know, knowing him, knowing Bill Fagan, um, you know, there was a chance in 2015 to join the family and uh, was excited to do so. So I moved to California and um, started in, in Santa Clara and now kind of have responsibilities across the West Coast and the upper Midwest um, and a, as a regional director, which means, um, you know, supporting um, some of our on-campus operations through the sale of tickets for uh, revenue generating sports for college partners. And now I'm talking to you guys. Yeah, and that isn't easily done because we have people lined out the door around the block or from coast to coast that, that want to be on this show. Um, <laughs> that, that being said, do you remember the aha moment? You know, you talked about the early days of starting a career in wood bats and being an athlete. W was there an aha moment where you went, uh, you know what, I'm probably not going to play in the majors. Uh, you talked about your focus in sports, but was there any one moment or event where you said, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I think there might be a career here. Well, I knew I wasn't going to play college or knew I wasn't going to play pro baseball my senior year when I batted 219 varsity baseball in Minnesota. I um, was lucky enough to play college yeah, but baseball that's like there. Three, that's like 319 in a warm state. So don't underestimate <laughs> yourself. Let's just say if, if, I, if I was betting at the top of the order, we were a bad team. I was a good number nine hitter. Um, that's where you needed me. But uh, in terms of the business side of things, I think one thing that really tipped for me during my internship is I remember thinking that sales was a bad thing. You know, my experience with sales growing up was just you know, selling coupon books uh, fundraising for, you know, my sports teams growing up, et cetera. And I can remember I had sisters that I would pay to, to sell those books for me or, you know, I'd ask my parents if they'd buy more than their share type of thing. I just didn't think sales was something I wanted to do because I thought it was talking somebody into something that they didn't want. And I didn't think that was me. Um, and so my aha moment came during my internship with the Alexander Beatles when I was taught what sales is, you know, sales is listening, 
Sales is relationship building. Sales is connecting with people. Sales is taking a long horizon with things. And I quickly learned that sales skills are life skills. Um, And so that really clicked for me of realizing what sales really was. And so that was that summer of 2005 when I was in college. And I said, wow, this isn't, sales isn't a bad thing. Sales is um, where careers are born or sales make life easier or better. So it was 2005, I would say. When you think about the word that starts with an S and ends with an S, uh, and his five letters in sales. Jake, I don't know if we've got the stats on it, but I think only about 100% of the people that we've talked to so far, the 50-plus, um, in one way or another, uh, had the foundation of their careers built on sales. And maybe sales itself needs to hire a PR firm to kind of <laughs> change the name because – uh, you know, Chad, you're a perfect example. Myself, Jake, and in his career, you know, talking about having Bernie on a week or so ago. It's all about revenue generation, and it's amazing to me how even in this day, if the business has now been around multiple decades, it's like sales. Oh no, no, can't do that. Not interested. Don't want to do that. Want to be in player personnel. Want to be in metrics analytics. Don't talk to me about sales. And that is where careers go to be made, I think. Right. I mean, as, uh, as uh, my Stanford professor once said, is that you run to chaos and disaster. That's where careers are built. Um, yeah, how but, did that uh, ever happen? That guy must have sold himself <laughs> into that position. Either way. I mean, that, when I, that's one thing that I, I, I find myself sharing a lot with young people is just sales or life skills. You know, I'm, I'm confident if I was to lose my job today, which God willing it won't happen you know i would know what to do in terms of how to find a new job um you know i've made cold calls before you know had relationships conversations etc whereas people in different verticals you know might have a harder time with that so i mean sales skills help help with listening to a spouse or um, you know listening skills translate all over with any job or work you have so i think just interpersonal skills count and they count even more in the sales aspect. So um, I agree with you, Andy. And as somebody who's listened to all but one episode so far, and that's the most recent one, um, I, I was kind of going through my role decks in my head, and I think you're right in terms of the 100% mark for sales folks. And as I was listening and, and knowing what Jake is doing now and you know Pat Gallagher and, and our friend Fred Clare, it comes down to the fact that um, even though we clearly live in a data-driven age with analytics and metrics, which are important and help all of our businesses, not just the player side, but the business side, it's always occurred to me that the sales side, and you, you explained it perfectly, is the people side. And so if you're just banging a computer keyboard and analyzing stuff, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's almost depersonalized and, you know, in the interpersonal full mode of sales, it's all interrelationships with actual people and words and eyeballs and handshakes. And, you know, that's what I think is most exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you, it, there's a reason why people at retirement parties say, you know, the things that they'll miss 
are the best parts of their careers or the relationships they've built with people. Um, you know, I think that that's meaningful, lasting, impactful stuff. And I've gotten some interesting exposure to this recently as I'm pursuing, pursuing an executive MBA through Pepperdine and their Silicon Valley campus here. And I'm being exposed to a lot of people who have um, engineering backgrounds uh, and more technical backgrounds. And what I'm learning quickly is that folks um, with those sort of expertise in those disciplines have a much different skill set than those of us in the sales and marketing venue in terms of communication, timelines, deadlines, time bound, et cetera. And so it's a, it's a really interesting perspective to be able to experience. Um, but I can tell you this is that it seems like all great leaders of, of people have that interpersonal, you know, touch. And I guess one thing that you know, I think would be different from younger in my career, you, I would have observed leadership as, you know, that big speech that uh, rally the truth, you know, um, you know, fire them up, let's go type of thing. And what I've learned more along the lines is that leadership is, you know, listening and leadership is empathy and leadership is, you know, taking an extra second and pausing before you're responding. Um, you know, those, the, those are leadership things. So um, I agree with you on the, the aspect of people, um, you know, technology is technology. Uh, it certainly makes things easier and better. Um, but I don't think that um, people who, know how to work well with people, particularly people that they don't necessarily like, but can still work well with them. I don't think that's ever going to go out of style. I, I just saw when I was doing some back reading on SBJ, I think I read it correctly, but SBJ through uh, an editorial that uh, Abe Madker is doing, they, uh, they are great at celebrating the industry, 40 under 40, the pioneers, all that. But I think I saw, a piece that they're now going like 30 under 30. And to me, I think that's going to be an incredible example to see who ultimately gets picked. And Jake, um, you know, you and I discussed this not briefly, uh, but in a nanosecond, but what skills those under 30s have. And, you know, I've, I've been friends with Abe for a long time. I'm sure the neonatal leaders of the sports business is going to be out there in 10 or 15 years. Like, you know, if you're seven months pregnant, you know, can you be nominated for one of these positions? But, you know, the 30 under 30s, that's going to be uh, very instructive to see their foundational views of what a career should be. Yeah, I'm interested myself. I mean, I think my... I would suspect it is more the anal along the analytics side of things. Um, I could be wrong. I guess what I'm drawing data from is I know front office sports did 25 under 25. And um, if I remember correctly, it was people who were movers and shakers in that space. Um, I, I could be misspeaking there. And if I am, I, I apologize. Is that, I don't need to be that, that to be the case, but I'm curious too. And uh, SBJ always has a, a thorough criteria for those things. So, I'm curious, too, to see how that shakes out as well. Jake, how young should Abe Madker go in the future? What, what do you think? College athletics are recruiting kids from 12 years old and on, so I figured we wouldn't right. start too much farther uh, after that. You know, maybe like eh, 16, like driver's license and older. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we <laughs> won't get into the most recent you know, parents like, how about $6.5 million to send my kid to 
sail or row or play basketball, even though they never did any of those. Um, so you had talked about the sales environment. I think if I remember, uh, that you underline in Kansas city, that you thought that was one of the best that you've seen. What, what were the touch points that made it as good as it was and is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was there in 2010 and 2011, so it's been a while, but the fact that it still resonates with me is, is meaningful. Um, you know, strong leadership, clearly articulated expectations, a system of accountability, and a whole lot of talent. Um, you know, I think that that environment um, attracted talent, and that was always, uh, you know, it starts with talent, but culture matters even more. Um, but that culture of accountability and leadership really matters. It was just a fun time to be there rebranding, new stadium coming up, young leadership. Um, it really mattered, and it was a cool cool experience to be a part of. And it was one of those things where you'd find that people would be getting in the office earlier and earlier and staying later and later as the week got longer because um, they were really reaping the benefits of the process. And as you work in the world of college sports, but Aspire does a little bit of everything, what do you see as the major differentiation points between the pros and college and what makes college, at least in my view, that much more challenging with maybe greater opportunities in the future? Yeah, interesting question. Um, so I'd say from a pro standpoint, there's a couple of things that seem to matter most to senior leadership. You know, that's increasing valuation, you know, team valuation, winning games and generating revenue. And you can kind of debate, it's probably a case by case of what's most important to each owner or ownership group. Where in college athletics, revenue generation might rank as the fifth or sixth most important thing to an athletic director. You know, it might be providing the best student athlete experience possible, creating a great college athletics atmosphere, um, you know, creating an environment that people want to be around and uh, have a lifelong relationship with, uh, creating an environment where coaches want to stay. Um, et cetera, and then maybe revenue generation. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, and, it, and that's not good, bad, it's just different. And so it's just a different perspective. I would also suggest that, you know, in pro sports, there's a lot more resources that are dedicated towards the sales function. So in terms of technology, sys ticketing systems, et cetera. Um, so it's a different resource level, certainly. But I think one of the most exciting things about college athletics is, um, you know, for the last handful of years, many schools haven't done an aggressive outbound approach to, you know, renewals, group sales, um, partial plans, new full seasons, et cetera. So that's an exciting opportunity, I think, for a lot of the, the partners that we work with. Right. And then the obvious point of multiple sports, you know, from maybe 18 to 40, I think 40 or 42 is the top number in the country and men and women. Right. right. Uh, the Olympic sports, which don't get the love that they you know, necessarily should. Right. Well said. I mean, there's a there's that aspect of it, too. You know, there's not necessarily an offseason, not that there's two, you know, one necessarily in, in, in pro sports is just different. But, um, you know, there's competing timelines and competing priorities, you know, um, and, and managing expectations um, is really crucial and critical as it relates to the college environment revenue generation space. Um, you know, one thing I found that people from that come from pro sports, you know, major or minor league to college athletics is they enjoy an element of having summer off. 
you know, to have a traditional working hours during summer and not necessarily so many nights and weekends. Um, so I've just, I've seen that in the marketplace the last couple of years of people really seeking out college athletics for a bit, bit, bit different um, balance or integration in their life. And I think having spent some time with IMG College a few years ago, which I found the most incredible postgraduate course, which I was getting paid for, was the opportunity, but the complexity of the constituencies in college, as opposed to the pros. I mean, the pros, there's an owner, there's an executive group, they make the decisions. Um, But in college, holy moly. Right. I mean, you have so many constituencies that have a rightful yay or nay to anything that might be happening as it relates to the full menu of sports and what the athletic department does. The future of college athletics, Chad, uh, where do you kind of see it going? And, you know, ultimately, um, what are the biggest aspects uh, that people need to kind of focus on from a sports business perspective in regards to, to your industry? Uh, I think in terms of the future of college athletics, I think the thing, couple things that have everybody's mind, in, you know, is, you know, should college athletes be compensated? And then, you know, um, you know, sports wagering, what's the impact that that has um, mm-hmm. on, I think an interesting aspect too is for, you know, those big time, basketball players and football players, you know, we started to see them, you know, sit out tournaments or bowl games or conference championship games. Will we see that happen sooner? You know, will we see that happen before our conference season starts or something like that for a, a basketball player? Um, so I think there's other people that can probably offer a better perspective than I can. From the business perspective, I what we're seeing too is, again, and, and my tenure with college athletics is just over four years. Um, so I like to think I'm getting a second term here, which is a good thing. But, uh, um, you know, I think you're starting to see or I've started to notice that there's more you know, general business people uh, involved in college athletics. Right. Than it seems like in, in the past, um, which I think is an interesting, interesting trend to follow, um, because that always hasn't been the way in college athletics. You know, and that's not better, not worse. It's just the way it is. Uh, but that's a trend that I'm I'm observing. And, and I think especially, you know, with Aspire and others that think that you're seeing more people come from the pro sports realm into college athletics than you probably were 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I'll be curious to see, um, you know, if that trend continues, especially at the leadership level. In terms of the the third party groups as well, you know, do you see a lot more people going towards the Aspire group, the Learfield IMG colleges, um, the Levies, the legends of the world versus into the actual organizations or, uh, or do you see people go from the third parties to the organizations because then they have the outside, you know, perspective of working with them uh, before they go inside? Well, I, I hope more people see value in the, in the third party. I and mean, I certainly stand by what we do and how we do it. And, you know, in a sustainable relationship based manner, um, you know, that being said, um, you know, the industry is, is, is competitive. And I think, a lot, I think one thing that's interesting is a lot of people, more people are thinking about ticket sales in 2019 than they were in 2014. You know, it's hitting the radar of a lot more senior executives or key executives in athletic departments and then perhaps even on central campus, you know, with, at the presidential level. Um, so I think that that's an, an interesting thing. Obviously, there's been media rights on campus for a, a long time here. 
Um, but the ticket piece is a big one because, you know, I think the landscape of sporting events, you know, tickets are becoming more and more challenge, more of a challenge. And two, we see on our end, and Bernie may have said this last week, um, is, you know, when somebody buys a season ticket, typically they renew on average about five or six years in a row. And so that lifetime value um, is significant there, especially if we're looking at a policy. Um, you know, matches up nicely uh, with some of the, the bigger revenue dollars that you see on the mix or the multimedia right side of things. Um, and so that would be my perspective. Flipping the coin for a second, uh, you know, we've talked about the pros and what's happening in colleges and universities. Are you looking at the incredible growth and sophistication of youth sports? I mean, AAU tournaments, high schools in some states that seat, you know, 30,000 for football programs that are nationally prominent and games that are televised. Is, is there a business there? Do you see anybody starting to look at that? I know people have, but. What's what's your view personally, and what about Aspire? Yeah, I think um, others internally on, on our end have more visibility to that than I do. What I would say is that if there's a ticket involved, we're interested. Um, you know, I think that that's what we do. I mean, we live, sleep, eat, breathe, uh, ticket sales and service relationship building. So, um, you know, I think that one thing that's interesting, you know, we are working with different partners than I think we expected to work with previously, you know, whether that be, you know, obstacle course run groups or, um, you know, major pro sports teams is, is different than I think, um, you know, what would, would surprise some people, but I guess just generally speaking, Andy, and I'm sorry for giving you a general answer is if there's a ticket, I think we're interested right. and there's a lot of other, other factors there in terms of, is there a database? Is it a sustainable event? There's obviously an economic component to things that need to make sense um, etc. No, that's that's a, a point. As you've heard me say, and others in the industry, I always talk about LPCs, and people go like, "What's an LPC?" And I go, "A little piece of cardboard, right?" Because that <laughs> that basically made the world go round. Just last night, my wife and I went to a concert, and she's much more technologically adept at me. And I went, voila, LPCs still exist on the phone, <laughs> a little piece of carbon, right? Because it's nice. carbon, all, there you go. It's all hashtags and run this by me. And I'm going to give you all the big data that you can, that you're sucking out of my phone and coming back to me with other offers. But no matter what form, right? And now the actual ticket, right? I mean, there are teams that don't do tickets anymore. And I'm a ticket mm -hmm. collector, always have been. Um, and uh, there was a recent event, I think it was NHL All-Star Game in San Jose. And I mm -hmm. wanted to get some tickets. And they said, Oop, sorry, can't have any. I go like, why is that? Because we don't have any. And that just, that, that, that was somewhat shocking to me. Well, Bernie, yeah, Bernie talked about on, on the episode with uh, one of your one of your partners, South Florida, going completely digital ticketing uh, and that kind of starting, you know, part of the movement of, of digital ticketing with ticketing within the, the college realm. Right, Chad? 
That's right. It did. And I mean, I can, I can still remember my first digital ticketing experience. I mean, going to, I'm from Minneapolis, going from a, going to a Timberwolves game with my dad and, you know, it was on his credit card. And I can remember we were like six or eight back in line and, and I'm, my stomach's turning a little bit going, I hope this works. I hope this works. Not for our perspective, but for the ticketing folks side of things. Cause I, I know what that anxiety, anxiety is like. The card in and two pieces of paper, two receipts almost just printed off and went from there. And I know, you know, Al Guido has done some recent podcasts where he's talked about, um, you know, going from, you know, candlestick to Levi's and what that transition from, you know, digital ticketing, you know, completely the, the, the value add, the pros, the cons, et cetera, from both the business side of things and then also the consumer side of things, um, you know, what that looks like. But it's certainly certainly trending in that direction. And South Florida is definitely one of our more progressive partners. And uh, we like getting to work with them, certainly. Chad, as, as you uh, alluded to earlier with the sales skill, I, I kind of want to wrap up our episode on this and in, in that, you know, you talked about the sales skill for, uh, people getting into the industry. Uh, but what about as you've progressed in your career, the management of salespeople um, and the mm. skills that that brings about? And, you know, what have you learned differently in your sales management experience that maybe you, A, you wish you would have learned as a salesperson, but then B, as you look to whatever your next move is uh, throughout the next you know years of your career, uh, what are the skills you're learning now that you think will make you um, better uh, in the future? Great questions. Thank you. I mean, I think as an early manager, um, one thing that I didn't understand um, was what made me successful as a salesperson um, didn't necessarily always translate well to being a, a good manager. So aggressive outbound, constant follow-up um, is good in some instances, but not in other instances. And so, Really, you know, understanding that there's a time and place for things was really important. Um, also, I think what young managers myself, you know, can't really learn until you experience it. It's different being responsible uh, for, you know, five, six, seven, 10, 12, 15 other people and what that looks like. And, you know, somebody somewhere along the way is having a bad day. And, um, you know, so to be able to pick up on that and understand what's making them feel this way, et cetera. I think also one thing that young managers um, learn, myself included too late, is you've always got to be recruiting. I've always got to be recruiting. I think um, especially when you're on a larger staff, an inside sales department, et cetera, somebody's always close to, to moving on. Uh, hopefully it's internally into a different position, um, and sometimes it's not. But and that's one thing I guess I just feel passionate about in general is I think that – industry can do such a better job of hiring. I mean, I think there's no more important job that we have as leaders than to hire. And then right after hiring is develop the heck out of people. Um, and so I, I would say that aspect of things was, was, was kind of a wake up call. Um, and, you know, just generally speaking, kind of moving, moving ahead. I mean, you know, I think general management skills are really key and critical, um, you know, to be, well-versed and knowledgeable about a lot of different things. And I think it's also what I'm learning too is the more I grow, you know, with Aspire, I'm learning that, you know, listening matters a ton. Really has me well. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky because I'm naturally curious. Um, but what I would say is those people who spend time 
you know, making business decisions and doing business activities outside of work um, really serve themselves well. And so the one thing we always talk about is five to 15 minutes every day, every night, weekends and holidays included, spending time investing in your career outside the office. So that could be listening to one of your guys' podcasts. That could be going to a restaurant and observing your waiter or waitress and seeing what you can learn service-wise from them. That might be a conversation with um, Andy Dolish and understanding and making sure you're asking open-ended questions, et cetera. Um, but as I go forward, I think the one thing that I think about a lot is just those soft skills. Um, and I've got a great leader on my end in terms of Bill Fagan that I report into with Aspire. And um, you know, he, he models that well, even from 3,500 miles away. Um, and so that's what I'd say. And I guess the last thing I'd say, you know, kind of going back to a younger manager thing is speed doesn't matter in your career. Um, you know, the thing that matters is that you got it right. And, um, you know, I think that one thing that I did early on in my career is put the hard work into figuring out what's important to me in work. And what I learned is, you know, who I report into is really important to me, more important than most people probably. And when you can, you know, trust, admire, respect, and, and love, you know, I love Bill Fagan in a professional sense, you know, you've got something really special there. And then I also realized from my perspective, as I get, I'm really energized when I'm working on business, not just revenue generation. So financial modeling, staffing, um, negotiating extensions, uh, counseling, coaching, et cetera. Um, so I think those are the things that I'm looking, looking to grow. But um, I think revenue is always the core of who I am and what I've done and will hopefully always be a piece of what I do. Um, but I guess that, that's what I would suggest. Yeah. Well, Chad, we really appreciate you laying out the aspirational path of what so many people should be looking at, because as we've talked about from day one, you know, keep your career close, but your family closer, because mm -hmm. you have two families as you move down the career path. And uh, we can't thank you enough for dealing with uh, Jake and I, which isn't always easily done. <laughs> and for all the examples that you've set for our listeners. So we appreciate it um, and try to stay cool in the heat of Northern California. Thank you, Chad. No problem. Thank you, guys. Grateful.